Welcome to Fire Your Therapist, a podcast with a radical perspective on mental health. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Dan. Welcome to Fire Your Therapist. On today's episode, we're going to talk about how everything in the world is so complex, except for Dan. I'm not very complex. He's super simple. I'm pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen you do very complex things, like find parking on Cloverdale. Challenging, <laughs> but maybe not complex. Oh, okay. All, all it takes is gas pedal, turn right, gas pedal, turn right, gas pedal, turn right, and you just wait for an open space. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, you've really simplified it. <laughs> simplified. <laughs> <laughs> the simplifizer. <laughs> Simplified. You really simplified we're, it. We're inventing language today. Instead of saying collapsing complexity, we'll just say, you simplified. Okay, we should check in. Okay, you go for it. I am checking in, and I'm fine, I'm doing well. I've been wanting to talk about complexity for a while, for many different reasons. I'm excited to hear what you have to say, Dan, because I stopped you from sharing with me, because I wanted to talk about it on air. It's always more exciting that way. But complexity, I don't think, is just a mental health issue. I mean, it goes into everything. But I, I find that this topic is most important to me outside of therapy because a lot of therapists are, are always actively thinking and practicing or trying to strive toward holding more variables in mind when you're working with larger systems, families, couples, all that stuff. So I don't find that this is a difficult concept to talk about in the mental health field, but more outside of that where people are more... Um, you know, they're more interested in simplifying something so they can just keep going with their lives and get on to the next thing. Absolutely. I mean, I think a big function of our consumerist culture is the quicker you can simplify, the quicker you can reduce, the easier it is to sell. So maybe we should pull that apart, reduce. In what way? Like, is, is there a situation that we could use that would make sense that would compare um, maybe reducing something versus right. make, so understanding the complexity sure, of it? Sure, sure, sure. So let's think about maybe just... The hierarchy and structure of an organization. Uh-huh. Um, very clear-cut policies and procedures. Oh, yeah. Right and wrong rules. Everything's totally reductionist. Good and bad. No time for a dialogue about it. No time for a conversation. No time for people's context. Just a set of rules, a set of consequences, and very little discussion. And the better people get at blocking out the context of any given situation, and the quicker they can identify the rules and procedures, the more successful they are usually. I'm yeah. oversimplifying for sure. Obviously, there's yeah. fields and professions and whole industries that intentionally don't practice that way, but a lot that are not thinking consciously about how they want to operate, operate mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. It's like a really oppressive structure. And, uh, you know, a long time ago, I was a part of a situation where a scenario was reduced to something that actually made no sense because uh, the people that were reducing this idea down to something simple to understand, they missed such a huge part of the context of what allowed this certain situation to transpire. They missed everything. They had no curiosity about what could have happened to make it fall into the places that it did, yeah. that they went with their first assumption and they reduced everything to the point that to me was absolutely ludicrous and very, very frustrating because it dishonored what everyone in that situation was going through. And so everyone was misunderstood. Everyone was feeling you know, oppressed and lost and feeling powerless that they didn't have any say in what was going on because no one had any curiosity or compassion for what they were going through, right? including myself. Yet, in a situation where you're an employee, you're, you're being paid and your livelihood depends on your response in that situation, the oppressive part comes in, right? Because then you feel like you can't say anything. 
because there's something on the line. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think so many of the core values in our culture are like that no matter where you go. Just mm-hmm. just ideas about like independence Yeah. are by their very nature a lack of complexity. Well, when you think about the notion of independence, mm-hmm. right? If someone is independent, they, you know, pay their own bills, they do their own work, they, you know, and I don't, I'm not undercutting, you know, responsibility and accountability, but that goes a step too far and assumes that because somebody does all those things, that the context behind all that was irrelevant. You hear these stories about uh, self-made people, right? A lot of times the context of whatever financial backing or education or resources that led them to start those businesses is totally ignored. And it's like, well, they just worked from nothing and built it from the ground up. And that's... Yeah. And it makes, you know, people that are reading a book about that person feel very incapable or insignificant or feeling like they'll never make it because they have to wait for this one lucky day where everything happens to them. Right. And then you don't hear the background, like you're saying, the context of all the resources that went into coordinating that event to occur. Yeah. I think that assumptions made a lot when someone goes to their first session of therapy and they're not really aware of all of the many, many transactions that had to occur for a space for them to sit down to be made available. A counselor to be made available. Right, a room. Um, a room. The, the lights to be on. Yeah, the supervision. The, the comfortable couch to sit on. Yeah. Absolutely. All I mean, there's so many things that need to happen before that can occur that when that's reduced to um, customer service, right. where they're coming in, they have an expectation of what is going to happen, and then when that doesn't happen, they reduce it down to, well, you owe me this because I paid you. Exactly. Well, it becomes a consumer transaction. Suddenly, yeah. the, the couch, the room, the lights, the chairs the therapist are all irrelevant because they paid for it. Right. And then suddenly that complexity can be completely ignored and we don't have to think about how interdependent and complex everything is. Sometimes they didn't even pay for it, but they're at a nonprofit or they're at a a public facility. It's been paid for by someone. And then there's an assumption of I pay taxes. So in some way I've deserved everything to come to me in this scenario. And I don't mean to pick on the mental health field because this is universal. This happens when you buy a salad at a restaurant and if it's not correct, you know, you're not exactly remaining curious about what happened in the chef's day before he arrived or <laughs> if the server is new right. or if it's a soft opening restaurant. I mean, it's just right. you look at what you, your expectations and you balance it against the reality right. of what happened. Yeah, and it's, then it's definitely not about, you know, a punitive view of any one industry and more about um, stretching our muscle, stretching our mental muscle around keeping complexity in mind because it's much easier, I think, to have compassion for the people we encounter in various fields if we're always sort of keeping in mind oh that's right there is going to be a whole bunch that i take for granted that makes whatever like one point of interaction much more complex than i can assume just by judging that one moment yeah taking for granted is a really good way to say it because i take lots of things for granted all the time until i i'm sort of forced to become mindful of it and it makes me really think about shared resources and um You know, some of the work that I used to do uh, with groups was always about sharing resources because you have more people um, that are coming to the same place at the same time. And you have to decide among eight to 10 people, what are you going to talk about and how long are you going to talk about it? And you're sharing the space together. And it's really hard to negotiate at first. One of the core outcomes you want from these group experiences is empathy, Mm -hmm. is a practice of it, an appreciation of it you know, gaining a skill in demonstrating it. It's really hard to, 
develop a good capacity for empathy without some capacity for complexity also. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, when they imagine having empathy for somebody or they imagine somebody else having empathy for them, they assume, oh, if you empathize with my situation, you'd fix it. You'd make it go away. Mm-hmm. Rather or for, than, or for wow. somebody else, they'd imagine like, oh, well, I, I, I can't, I don't want to say that I empathize that situation because I don't know how to make it go away. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. There's this fear of sliding from like sympathy or even pity, unfortunately, sometimes where you're sort of on the sidelines saying, ooh, sucks to be you. And instead sliding into like, I'm going to crawl down into that hole with you and say, yeah, this is horrible. I don't know how to fix it either. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, but, but here I am. I'm, right. I'm next but to you. But people do that really rarely, mm-hmm. I think, because uh, one of the reasons is that holding the complexity of being in that dilemma and not being able to make it go away mm-hmm. takes some complexity to hold that. I mean, I know that when I have a friend or family member that's going through something rough, I often don't have a solution or a fix for them, it's at least not a simple one. You know, I, I'm always an advocate for patience and time and working through and um, deconstructing a situation and really finding the root of why it transpired in the first place. But in the meantime, you know, sometimes you just need some companionship or someone to go through it with you and experience it with you. And I've found that even when I, I feel like I want to do that, that people don't want to receive that because hmm. I don't know, I don't know what feeling comes up for them, but let's say that I joined you, Dan, you were, let's say you were having a very like depressed month and there's nothing I can do. You've tried everything and you're just in this, this like really depressive phase. And I want to come and join you in that. Like, it, what would it be like for you to have someone around that can't do anything for you other than be with you? I mean, maybe I'm asking someone who has a sophisticated answer, but. Right. Well, it's hard for me to imagine uh, how I would have answered that years ago. Um, I think now I have a great deal of appreciation for it. But even as you ask that question, I'm aware that I probably rarely wanted somebody to only acknowledge what I was struggling with if they could fix it. Uh huh. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would have had that language for it. But what I think I see time and time again is on both ends of that transaction, people shy away from it because they think, oh, I shouldn't ask for anything because they're not going to be able to fix it and uh-huh. I shouldn't step in because I can't fix it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and time and time again, people step into that and they are so nourished by the shared vulnerability mm-hmm. that fixing it becomes less important now than maintaining that vulnerable contact. Yeah. Uh, um, I think I, I think I know now that I, the person who's in the, in the depression or in this sticky situation and they're having someone join them, I think they're experiencing a type of a shame response when someone comes because then it's you're coming up against that independence thing again. Right. Whether or not I can take care of myself and oh no, now I need this person and I don't want them to think I need them because then I'll look incompetent. I don't want to actually need them because then I will feel incompetent. Right. <laughs> and those are complex feelings. And I wonder if some of that happens because people feel like they're being watched from the outside and it's just sympathy or pity and that encourages the shame. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they move past that hurdle and realize the person is trying to feel their way into being in it with them, that it's less shameful because then someone else is saying, yeah, I'm here with you and there is no solution. It's not just you. There's not something wrong with you. It is tricky or complex or hard to solve. I think one of the things that really sabotages this phenomena we're describing of sort of leveraging complexity to get to that empathetic connection is perspectives we don't agree with. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah. can be, that can be really sabotaging, right? So you, that's a really difficult situation. 
and it, it's got a huge spectrum, right? I mean, yeah. you're talking in the psychotherapy world, it could be anything from like doing therapy with someone who's uh, a perpetrator of domestic violence, mm-hmm. uh, who's a, a child molester, who's a little bit racist, who's right. Like there's this whole spectrum of severity mm-hmm. of how much it might trigger a therapist. Right. Uh, and then suddenly, um, the ability to hold that complexity and stay empathetic gets turned off and it's like, nope, nope, I, I can't empathize. I can't hold the complexity of that. I'm not interested. Right. They said this thing. Or especially when out. it's something personal. Yeah. Like if a, a gay counselor was seeing a client who was homophobic, right? you know, how intensely charged that situation can be. Plus it's even more complex because not everyone who is gay is out or <laughs> or is talking about it necessarily with their clients. They may with their friends and family, but it's not something that they share on the job. Right. Um, that's that's a difficult situation as well. Yeah. Because it also has a full history. I mean, this is where the comp- this is a good example of complexity, right? Because there's also this full history of violence in the gay community when people do come out. But now you're in charge of, or at least. Pr- it looks like you're in charge of someone's mental health. And if you're the provider, then the one who's provided for, you know, I, I don't like any of those words because I don't agree with them. Right. You know, the best therapy is like when you don't know who the client is and who the therapist is. But I don't know. It just gets so complex. And then you need to understand the level at which the um, the client is able to hold complexity as well. Yeah. So I think that there's a, a marker that you can see when someone can include more of who you are as a counselor, so they can include more of the counselor's experience, they, they're more curious about the counselor's experience, you know complexity is growing and right. that this viewpoint is, is starting to form. Yeah, I think uh, part of what you're pointing at is also um, diversity. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think it's really difficult when you come up against sort of the more traditional diversity training, which might be called things like, you know, cultural sensitivity training or, you know, who knows what, what names they have for it. But essentially, it sometimes becomes um, teaching stereotypes. Yeah. Not intentionally, but, you know, at the end of the day, it becomes something like teaching stereotypes so that people feel like they know the context of somebody they haven't met yet before they meet them. Mm-hmm. Right. And then so then diversity becomes this. Uh, lack of complexity where they're not can like building their skills to hold things that are unknown or foreign to them. Instead, they're building their skills to try to memorize something ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it teach it, it requires teaching a lot of complexity to be really good at um, the stance on diversity that I would advocate for, which comes from my community psych training, which uh, they called cultural humility hmm. instead of um, sensitivity or whatever the cultural competency that was the phrase that's horrible because it implies mm-hmm. you can be competent in it before you right have an experience of it which i mean yeah you can study you can read up on things but uh i think cultural humility really carries that responsibility of there's no way around it you're gonna have to go into situations planning on holding complexity of things you don't know mm-hmm. planning on having to be a little bit transparent about not actually quite understanding yet and needing to ask maybe uh, things like that yeah. I think um, the the one other thing that that reminds me of, just because in my head I go from diversity to social justice to lots of other things. Uh, oh, you are pretty complex then. Uh, and so, well, yeah, once in a while, <laughs> once in a while. This is my one time for the day. 
You should be excited it happened on air. Wow. I feel um, privileged. But it reminds me of the complexity we have to hold as we move through everything in our lives, as we are sort of part of the problem, part of the solution at the same time for anything we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that language makes sense to people, but you know, so like we drive cars and that pollutes, uh, but we might also volunteer at a homeless shelter and feed people, right? Like whatever it is we do with our lives, we're doing things that are sort of like trying to fix things that we think are problems in the world and also causing problems. Right. And there's a whole um, subculture in Los Angeles that is like <laughs> monitoring people's uh, um, use of green resources and right. so on and so forth. And it's like, you know, I go to this coffee shop because they care about the earth and they, they pay their farmers more, but then I'm going to go over here and eat at this place. And you feel like exactly. you can never win. Exactly. Because you know, the resources that are available to you are just, you know, what you have to work with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people feel like unless they're going to be the perfect hero Mm -hmm. and they're going to only buy from every organic local farmer and they're only going to buy the pants that come from the local place that makes them out of hemp and they're only going to drink the water that, you know. Yeah. And I think that's amazing for anybody who's working that hard at it, but it creates this. It's a full-time job though. (laughs) It is a full-time job and it takes resources to accomplish that. And for anybody who can't accomplish that, but sees that, um, example as what you're supposed to do might feel so shamed that, Oh my God, they're a horrible person. They're part of the problem. So they don't try anything. Well, you just made a really good point there. So the resources that they have available to be able to make those choices. Right. So let's say I have the resources available to eat, you know, perfectly organic and only shop local and all of these things. And I'm really taking care of my community. And then I see someone who's not doing that and I make an assumption about them that they don't care, mm-hmm. which is probably not the case. But if I have resources available to me to really eat and, and shop however I want to, and then I'm going to judge someone else who is completely incapable of making the same choices as I am, I can because they don't have the resources. Right. Then, you know, we're really collapsing. Totally. But <laughs> can't it's, say the words today. Dude. But it's, but <laughs> we're it's, really but collapsing it's completely complexity. impossible. It's actually impossible. Right. If you if you own a cell phone, you're contributing to some part of some problem somewhere. I know. I just read an article if, the other day. It's <laughs> Made me feel very ashamed of myself. <laughs> right. But these are the kind of things we sort of turn yeah. a blind eye to because we don't want to have to regularly hold that complexity of uh, I am going to destroy the planet as I try to save it in some way. And I, I don't think everybody thinks about it in terms of them trying to save the planet. But whatever their story for themselves is about what they're trying to contribute to. Um, you know, I, I was in an interesting conversation the other day about um, are people who are very wealthy and contribute lots of money to charitable causes, mm-hmm. doesn't that make them good people? And then if they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on anything from travel to houses to plastic surgery to whatever, mm-hmm. what's wrong with that? It's their money. They worked hard. They earned it and they're, charitable so they're supporting these problems in the world also Mm -hmm. um and i don't think there's a problem with that but i do think that it creates a story that lets us avoid the fact that the very existence of that resource is also connected to complexity right you wouldn't have so much money to spend on those things if there were people in the world if there weren't people in the world who didn't have it and were doing something Mm -hmm. to produce the products that you then have as resources so there's a there's a compartmentalization where we dodge this complexity again Mm-hmm. by like, and? well, I donated to this charity, so I feel really good about that. So I'm right. going to go have a spa day and then I'm going to go shopping and then, you know, 
And again, I'm not against these things. I'm just sort of pointing out that it's a it's, different it's thing complex, to engage yeah. in them with a very naive idealism of like, I've already like, I've satisfied my guilt by donating to this charity versus. Mm -hmm. um, but is it guilt? Is it always coming from guilt? Because I just, I I'm know. throwing this out because it, it, it reminds me of, um, of the, the mega church Christian community. So there is a, a, a mega church minister, uh, maybe I should call her a preacher, um, Joyce Meyer. And so she makes so much money and she has incredible organizations that go around the world. They feed the hungry, they clothe the, the naked and they house the homeless and they have so much outreach, like mm -hmm. unbelievable amounts of outreach. And then she has a private jet and she has, you know, a nice car and a nice home and she takes care of her family and she employs her family and she employs people that need jobs. But she is doing so much. I mean, she's actually helping some of the most poverty stricken people in the entire world Yeah, that it's like the amount that she's probably keeping for herself is it's likely a small percentage considering how much is actually being given. Right. Meanwhile, she's like in her 70s and she's still writing books and she's going to work till she dies kind of thing. Right. So, but there's, a ju I'm bringing this up only because we talked about, um, you know, donating money versus spending money on things that aren't all that charitable. But then there's this other level of complexity. Now it's like, well, what about when spirituality comes into it? Do we have judgments about someone who is being charitable and whatever, I guess the judgment would be they're being selfish by, you know, having a private jet and all these other things as well and being, I don't know, wasteful or whatever the judgment is. But then there's this other layer to it of, well, are they doing it for God? You know, <laughs> like now it's even right. more complex. And how do you hold all of those variables at the same time? Sure. I mean, if it was someone not in that situation, would we think differently about it? So I'm just saying like there are so many layers that you can't boil it down to one thing and say that's right or that's wrong. Absolutely. And you have my, to learn how my, to... my mm -hmm. um, perspective on this issue is, is similarly uh, aimed towards not trying to boil it down to what's yeah. right and what's wrong. And you I really can't. People get really carried away with the idea that anything that relates to what we're talking about is about evaluating a person. Yeah. About evaluating one individual. Did they give enough of their money to X or Y? You know, are they good or bad? And I think I'm uh, trying to advocate for something a little more complex, uh, mm -hmm. which is that someone that accomplishes everything you were describing, use their financial capital, use their social capital, have a private jet, do whatever it takes to accomplish those things. That's great, right? It's not a comparison of how much resource they put into mm -hmm. charitable things versus non-charitable things. Instead, it's about holding awareness for um, whether it's charitable or non-charitable, that's kind of irrelevant. All of those resources only exist as part of a more complex system, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it's I think it's one thing to sort of be reductionistic and sort of uh, I, I I think it's a good question whether it's guilt or not. I don't I don't know exactly, but to yeah. sort of oversimplify it to um, I don't feel bad or even worry about where this jet came from or who made this private jet mm -hmm. because I'm flying around to help charities, right? Which is right. great, but it's a different one to say. Uh, I'm a very complex participant in a complex world and everything I do is going to help something and hurt something. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't have to have shame around that. We can try to build a little more compassion around that for ourselves. And then I think a lot of what you're talking about, those judgments of like, oh, well, are they doing it for the right reasons? Is that for God or not? 
Yeah. We won't have as much judgment for others when we have a little bit less for ourselves. Yeah, that's true. I think that some of the people that are going to simplify and reduce more and judge others are coming from a place of not having a lot of compassion for themselves right. and judging themselves very harshly on a very rigid, very black and white scale of if I do this, then I am that right. rather than I am complex creature. Like you were saying earlier, right. living in a complex world and making complex decisions and being able to hold in mind. Um, yeah, I was really tired that day and I had to stop at this coffee place that I know is polluting the world, but if I didn't get the coffee, I wouldn't have made it home in one piece and my life is more valuable to me than where I'm spending my money on coffee. That was a complex situation. I, I, I was up against a wall and needed to do this. It's a horrible example because it's coffee, but <laughs> you know, the, it, there are so many examples and this is something, this is a conversation that would be really good for couples to listen to especially complex couples, especially same-sex or interracial couples. I'm not speaking from experience or anything, but I'm saying like this is a good uh, conversation to open up and have a dialogue around um, very complex decisions that come up for couples and families and, and friends Absolutely. and groups of people. Every day this comes up. Almost in yeah. every decision it comes up because we have very... Um, complex contexts that are informing why we're making the decisions that we make and then we have judgments on top of those after right. we've made our decisions right. so it's something that needs to be opened up further i think among all people but in, i i've seen this a lot in couples counseling yeah. is something that you know you're coming from two different family groups with two different histories of how things are done right yeah. how do we cook how do we shop how do we spend money what are our politics? How do we vote? How do we express anger? How do we express sadness? How do we express joy? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's very complex when you come into um, contact with someone that's very different from you. And then you have to like make a family together. It's hard. <laughs> it's yeah. very complex. Yeah. I think it's time we wrap up. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, uh, as we were talking about this last more personal bit, um, I realized what I wanted to check out with. Um, I think the first place I really found some use and benefit from complexity mm -hmm. uh, was in having compassion for myself. Yeah. Was in starting to create a new story that I am complex. I'm allowed to have different parts of me. I'm allowed to have a part of me that uh, is both good and bad for the outcome of the environment. I'm allowed to have parts of me that are good at things or bad at things or, you know, confident or ashamed. And, um, the more that that story was okay, the more easy it is to have compassion for the parts of myself that I don't love as much as the other parts. Yeah. And that's a really interesting thing to come to. Cause I came to it at one point as well. And it changes once you're able to have that compassion for yourself and understand how complex you are, you can really give that to others. And before that time, you really cannot. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a really, you know, um, it's not one of those you can teach and not be situations. You have to be first. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it changes what you judge and how you do, what you reduce and what you don't when you're able to hold a more complex worldview. And I think that there are particular populations that we would probably name. This is my checkout is that there are particular populations that um, tend to reduce uh, more readily. But, of course, it seems to always be tied to a, trying to 
um, it's like a coping strategy, right? Like I'm going to reduce the situation to the simplest terms. I'm going to make a decision right now because I need to escape or I need to reduce my anxiety or I need to survive. Right. Like, I mean, I don't want to bring up, um, a new conversation here, but you can think of like a scenario where someone's going to be violated. You need to reduce (laughs) quickly. And often you sort of lose, uh, the resources of your brain activity because you go into fight or flight and your decisions are sort of made for you. So those are reducing circumstances that are maybe outliers and we need more complex conversation dialogue around in a, in a future show. But, um, I mean, yeah, it happens all the time. Absolutely. And there's a hugely inverse relationship between trauma and complexity. Absolutely. But that, that that's, is a real a conversation sh- yeah. about including complexity because yeah. I think that's a really um, common scenario where someone has been traumatized where they start to not accept that part of their, you know, themselves and that part of their complex, right. and then suddenly you know, the way of being in the world. has to be simple also. Of course, of course, rather than, yes, this happened to me and this is how I dealt with it. And here are all of the complex reasons of why I dealt with it, why I dealt with it. And I have compassion for myself because of that rather than I did it wrong. And, you know, now I'm a victim and all these things. Right. That's all I had to say. (laughs) Such a great conversation. I really hope um, we get some exciting feedback from this. I'm curious to hear what people have to say. I think that I want to throw out a question. Before you sign us off here, okay, is that I want people to let us know whatever complex situations they're in, whether small or big, and um, email us or tweet us or send it on Facebook. I'm going to send out some questions on there too, so that people can let us know what's coming up for them. So then we can maybe, maybe not so much as do a piece of work, but at least open up a dialogue and something that's useful for people. Sure, absolutely. So it'll be a future podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Good idea. So, and the email address to use to send us that feedback is feedback at fireyourtherapistshow.com. You can all follow us on Twitter at FYT Show and on Facebook, FYT Show. And we want to thank all of our listeners. We appreciate you listening and we look forward to making more podcasts for you. Fire Your Therapist was produced by Yumi Media. Subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes or go to fireyourtherapistshow.com where you can find podcasts, resources, and more.